We are back for another sappy edition of Broomsticks and Butterbeer. I am your Hufflepuff host, Dan Rhino. I'm your Ravenclaw host, Jessica Rhino. And apparently uh, we uh, love each other quite a bit because (laughs) on our last episode we got some feedback about how sappy we were. Sorry about that. Yeah, well, I can't say it won't happen again, but your your feedback has been uh, noted and will be documented for posterity. (laughs) Not saying anything will be done about it, though. But in the last chapter, uh, chapter 10, it was Halloween. And Ron, Harry, and Hermione survived a troll attack. Yes. And there were some other things going on kind of in the background that we might need to, to revisit before we get into this chapter. Because when Ron and Harry were heading off amidst the, the uh, confused Hufflepuffs <laughs> to uh, rest to find Hermione before... What, what is a group of Hufflepuffs called? A, um, a crash. A crash? Yeah. I thought those rhinos. Yeah, that's where I got it from. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out that most of my family, by the way, is Hufflepuffs. We had Supposedly. Them, we had them sorted, but I don't know if they were uh, very honest with their sorting quiz, so... I don't believe so. Some of them. Some. Um, you know, some of them, like my mom, we know for sure is a Hufflepuff. Yeah. Like 100%. She easy. hasn't been officially sor- sorted. Yeah, but, but it's, it's that's that's one of the ones where the sorting hat doesn't even have to... Touch your head. <laughs> touch your head. She just kind of starts to put it on and, she's, and it goes, Hufflepuff! I can see that happening. Just like my dad's a Slytherin. Mm-hmm. Because he thinks he's better than everybody else. And he's a lawyer. And yeah, I would, see, I would he's say an attorney, most, so. most attorneys are, are probably Slytherins. Uh, I totally lost my, my train of thought. Sorry. But when Harry and Ron were heading off to try to find Hermione, they noticed that Snape was running around the halls. And I don't know if we really touched on this last chapter. He was running basically away from the direction that they said that the troll was. Because I think I thought they said the troll was in the dungeons. The dungeons. Yes. And Snape was heading away from the direction of the dungeons, which they thought was weird. And I think they even kind of, you know, somebody mentioned it. Why isn't he heading down to the dungeon with the other professors? And we don't really find out why, but that's going to come up later on in this chapter. So I thought that it would be prudent to at least kind of mention that before we get into this chapter. And it has been mentioned. Hot take. Good job. <laughs> you cover it so well. Oh, that's that's your way of complimenting me to get out of actually having to say anything. <laughs> There's nothing more to say. I mean, gotcha. I could say stuff, but then you yell at me for spoilers. Gotcha. Well, Ron, Harry, and Hermione basically kind of uh, solidified the friendship going forward in the last chapter. So if for nothing else, then that was a, a big moment for for the trio and for our main characters. But now we're getting into chapter 11 today, which is Quidditch. And it's Quidditch season here at Hogwarts. It is November, so it's starting to get cold. I believe they said there's uh, snow caps on the mountains and the lake is frozen over. And it's it's awfully uh, brisk. It, It gave the appearance, or I got the impression that a lot of time had passed, but really it hadn't he just said in november started well that does happen after halloween as as, as, as (laughs) As it tends to do as is tradition (laughs) but and then i don't know there was something there i was like oh it's been like weeks no no it's just like this coming saturday we're Mm -hmm. having quidditch yeah i mean it could very well be uh the next day or (laughs) yeah we don't know. know what day halloween was on uh, well, we do know how, what day Halloween is on. It is on October. I mean, 31st. what day of the week? Oh boy. <laughs> we oh boy. oh boy. We do know, but it, I mean, it could be a few days after. <laughs> it could be a week after. But we do know that it is November, and the Quidditch season starts Saturday. And Harry has been practicing with Oliver Wood, the Gryffindor Quidditch captain, but he's been doing it in secret because he is their secret weapon, and you don't tell everybody about your secret weapon i don't see why not but sure but the word somehow gets out that harry is set to be the seeker which is a big deal for a first year Mm -hmm. at hogwarts 
He's set to be the seeker for the Gryffindor Quidditch team, and that kind of elicits some mixed reactions from some of the student body. What were some of the uh, positives and negatives he was getting? Well, it said that he couldn't decide which was worse, but some of the students were telling him that he would be brilliant, Mm -hmm. which, you know, is a lot of pressure. Mm -hmm. Harry's already taking on so much pressure because people expect him to be great, this great wizard. And um, so is this just another aspect of that? You're going to be great at Quidditch. And he's like, I didn't know what that was until just recently. So I'm not sure about that. And then the other half is offering to run around with a mattress to catch him when he falls. <laughs> Which does not give him instill a lot of confidence no, in him. No, and I don't think it's a, I don't think it's in the rule book. You can do that. Yeah. So. There's, they're working without a net here. So... <laughs> There's, but there will be mattresses. Yeah, he he basically has has gotten, you know, conflicting uh, uh, theories about how well he's going to do uh, this Saturday. And Hermione lends him a book. Of course, it's a book because it's Hermione. Yes. But it's it's kind of weird because it's a book about Quidditch. It's Quidditch through the ages, which we talked about in in previ- on previous shows, and. Of course, written by the great Kenilworthy Wisp, which I mentioned was a... Uh, the only reason I know that is because that was the million-dollar question on who wants to be a millionaire years ago. But it's weird that a Quidditch book would help take his mind off of the Quidditch game that he has coming up this week. But it does. It kind of takes some... It kind of doesn't... Ma- it makes him worry less about you know being nervous about the game coming up. Well, he's not focusing... I don't think it's taking his mind off it. Like you said, he's just not thinking about Quidditch. He's thinking about Quidditch, but... Um, Ooh, that's a hot take, too. <laughs> there you go. But he's focusing on something else. Not his Quidditch game, but... And he can, like... He can do something constructive. He's reading about Quidditch. He's learning about Quidditch. He feels like he's gaining something. And that helps with the confidence issue. And Instead he, of just sitting there imagining all of the things that could possibly go wrong. Well, he does learn a lot in the book, and he actually, it's, it's, he seems like he's very interested in learning about some of the, you know, the history. It's probably, you know, when you finally find something at school that you're really, that you're passionate about, you want to just absorb as much as you can about it. Sometimes it takes you a while to kind of figure out. <clears throat> You start to find something that you know, especially a lot of like reluctant readers I found over the years. But when, when you find something that you really care about and you're really passionate about, then that kind of makes, you know, learning fun. And it seems like he's really, this is something that he's really enjoying learning about, kind of the history of. And he could, he's already realized that he's, uh, you know, basically on everything that McGonagall has said and everything that Oliver Wood has told him that he's going to be pretty much a natural at this. And that his dad played, and, and you know, it probably you know, there's a lot of different layers there that um, a lot of different things to unpack that probably kind of leads Harry down the 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 path of wanting to learn more about it. And some of the things that he learns is that there's 700 different ways to commit a foul in Quidditch. <laughs> probably bringing a mattress out onto the field is one of them. And in uh, in basketball, there's not a lot. There's <laughs> Like uh, charging, there's, uh, I mean, there's just defensive fouls in general. But, I mean, I guess it would be more like uh, akin to like hockey where there's like hooking and tripping and slashing and things like that. But there's, there's eight, ten maybe. There's, there's bound to be more ways. They're flying. But there's 700 ways. And he learned that uh, in a uh, World Cup match, Quidditch World Cup match in 1473, all 700 fouls were committed in one game. <laughs> if you're not fouling, you're not playing. I guess that's true. I mean... Uh, that's what my coach said. I mean, I watched a... Uh, I remember when I was in high school, I played basketball, and a lot of times they would have the girls' game on before us. And I remember this one game. It took... I mean, I was watching for about 10 minutes, and the clock probably moved about 30 seconds, because every time somebody had the ball, they got fouled. <laughs> that's how we're coached. Well... That's, you you're sitting there. You want to blame it on just girls play bad basketball, but I'm telling you that I, is how those, we are coached. Those uh, my coach those literally are not said, the, uh, if you're not fouling, you're not playing. Yeah, well, we got through the game and we did not have three or four fouls. 
He was upset with us. No, well, you had a bad coach, so. <laughs> and those opinions are not. Uh, I got bit while playing basketball, mind you. Wow. The girl bit my shoulder. Uh, the opinions about girls not being able to play basketball were not said by Dan Rhino on the show and do not uh, reflect the on the show reflect the opinions of the Broomsticks and Butterbeer podcast LLC. <laughs> uh, girl, it's 2017. Almost when we're recording this, ladies, you can do whatever you want. You know, it's your world. Uh, another thing that I thought was interesting is that players rarely died. Rarely. However, that means that it didn't say players never died. <laughs> well, things happen. Things things do happen. I'm sure there were underlying causes. But that referees had been known to vanish and turn up months later in the Sahara Desert. <laughs> yes, well, fans can be very Fickle? passionate. I'm going with passionate. So you think that it's fans that are upset about a bad call and they banish the uh, referees to the Sahara Desert? Yes. Interesting. Um, I didn't. I didn't have that thought when that happened. That makes a lot of sense, though. <laughs> what was Ma- your thought? I just thought that maybe there's like so much magical garbage going on that, <laughs> that it just kind of stumbled like, into a pile I, of. I don't know that maybe the all these having all these sorcerers on the field at one time might accidentally open up a portal to the Sahara Desert. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't think that's possible. Maybe they shouldn't. They don't let... really do portals in harry potter world universe i don't think well you know uh, i guess that's more like dr strange but you know how like when you go to do a baseball game or a football game they patch you down and they make you go through the metal detector and they probably shouldn't let people bring wands and stuff into a quidditch match doesn't mean it doesn't happen yeah i mean but they really shouldn't do that <laughs> I mean, that's like the, the you can't bring a gun into a baseball game, and a wand is much more powerful than a gun. I'm not saying you're wrong. I'm just saying I don't think you'll find very many wizards willing to part with their wands. Well, then you, watch. You got to watch it on on TV. Then you got to watch it on closed circuit, <laughs> because I don't think you should be allowed near the match if you're brandishing a wand. But. I don't think they really do TV either. To each its own. So we've got uh, Harry, Ron, and Hermione. We got the trio out in the courtyard. Uh, it's cold outside, as we mentioned earlier. Baby, it's cold outside. It is cold outside. Walk the dogs. It was negative seven this morning. As with we the wind record chill. this, negative seven. That's. I think it's like negative two now. It's pretty. Oh, so but it's this warming morning, up. When I walk the dogs. It was... Maybe just maybe just a light jacket then. <laughs> It's up to negative Underneath your parka. Gotcha. Uh, But we've got the the trio in the courtyard, and they have their backs to a flame that Hermione has figured out how to contain in a jar, which is... A little blue flame. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. That's a repetitive thing. That would be be handy to have. You know, just whenever you get cold, just conjure up a flame and and safely in a jar. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, you know, not gonna you know burn the curtains down or anything. I like that little um, candle we had on the table at the restaurant the other night mm-hmm. that we were all had our hands over. Mm-hmm. And then it went out. So then I took it somebody was, else's candle and <laughs> <very> sad, <yeah. laughs> when they weren't looking and <laughs> gave them our burnt out candle. And uh, we, like I said, they've got their backs to this candle when all of a sudden Snape shows up, walking across the courtyard, and he's noticeably limping. Which mm-hmm. is something that we need to keep our eyes on, keep our attention to for uh, shortly here in the chapter. And they're also they're kind of hiding the flame because they they know that they're going to get in trouble, or they figure they're going to get in trouble. They figure that there's there's probably some rule about not but having open flames, open flames in, in a in a jar in or school. anything like that. So they kind of hide that from Snape and Snape notices that they're being suspicious and so he comes over plus he's always i'm sure going to take an opportunity to mess with harry a little bit because he's got some kind of uh, vendetta against him apparently and but it's not the flame that snape is concerned with it's the book which is you know what has been helping harry through the last couple days quidditch through the ages and it's the book that gets Snape's attention, and Snape says that the library books are not to be taken outside. 
and takes five points away from Gryffindor, which Ron believes is a rule that Snape just made up <laughs> on the spot. I think Hermione would know. Yeah, if but there she was she doesn't a, chime in there. So yeah, if there was it must a, actually be a rule. If there was a rule about a book, you would think Hermione would know yeah. it, or just a rule in general. Just yeah, any rule. But they're still except for maybe the Quidditch rules. But they're still really focused on that bad limp that he has, and he didn't have that, you know, in the previous few days that we know. So this is brand new. Something has happened very, very recently. So later on in the chapter, Harry gathers the courage to go ask for his book back because that's been the only thing that's really been helping him relax before the match. And he walks in, I guess it's like the teacher's lounge I think area. so. Like a common room for the teachers. Yeah, he kind of knocks and nobody answers. So he just says, oh, maybe I'll just open the door. Maybe the book will be there. Maybe Sitting I can there just, on the table. Yeah, maybe know. I can just grab it. And he walks in on Snape and Filch dressing a gruesome wound on Snape's leg. And do we get to see this part in the in the movie? Um it's different. Okay. In the movie. Okay. Do we want to dive into that already? Um Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. I mean it's not going to In the spoil movie, anything. um we skip all of this, the the flame scene, the book scene, and the teacher's lounge scene. And it's just all packed into one moment in the bathroom when the teachers come in, when McGonagall comes in. Snape also comes in. And Harry notices that his cloak is ripped and his leg is bleeding. And they see the wound then, kind of. They don't get a clear picture of it. He doesn't have his pants leg up, you know, like he does in the teacher's lounge. But mm-hmm. he sees it then. And kind of they kind of share a moment where... Snape sees the Harry sees and Harry's kind of giving him like a what what happened look and he of course gets mad and like covers it up and storms out and then like the next morning he's coming into the great hall for breakfast and Snape is limping then and Mm -hmm. then that spurs a conversation between Harry and and Ron okay so that's quite quite a bit different yeah it was just compacted sure but in in the book Harry overhears Snape say, Blasted thing, how are you supposed to keep your eyes on all three heads at once? And then Harry, you know, puts together that, well, the only thing that could do, (laughs) make a wound like that, and that has, also has three heads, has to be that three-headed dog in the Forbidden Corridor. So Snape was in the Forbidden Corridor, and if he was in there, he was trying to get whatever the three-headed dog was guarding. And, but Snape notices Harry and yells at him to get out. Harry returns to Ron and Hermione and recalls what he saw. And also recalls what we mentioned at the top of the show. That wasn't Snape sneaking away during the troll attack? And he surmises that maybe Snape even uh, coordinated the letting the troll into the castle as a diversion, right? Yes. Hermione's not really buying this, but Ron is all over it. Well, That's... he's a teacher. To, or Hermione, he's a teacher. He would never he'd never do something like never. that. He would never steal from Dumbledore. Mm-hmm. So maybe, I mean, they're thinking that it was maybe just a, a big ruse by Snape in order to get whatever is being guarded in, in the Forbidden Corridor and that Snape is definitely up to something and Snape is definitely not on the level uh, when it comes to being the trustworthy professor that he's supposed to be that you would expect a professor to be at a school Uh, the next day though is the Quidditch match so we don't have too much time to uh, worry about other things that are going on because Harry's got uh, his Quidditch debut and he's too nervous to eat uh, he's just really, I mean, the nerves are really getting to him. And why wouldn't they, you know, being a, a first year and being in the, in this situation of something, a game that he's has never played before and has very little little training on and all the eyes are going to be on him. It's a lot of pressure. Yeah. You know, it's definitely a lot of pressure. And all, just all of the pressure from everything, you know, this is like just adding to it. And uh, Ron and Hermione 
use a uh, torn up sheet that uh, was Scabbers had Scabbers had, ruined. had ruined. So they turned it into a big banner that says Potter for President, kind of like the big signs you see at uh, you know football games and wrestling matches and things like that. Just to, you know when you're rooting for your favorite player or, or uh, your favorite athlete. And uh, I think it said Hermione even uh, enchanted it, so it yeah, would. It said she used a tricky charm to make the col- the paint flash different colors, and that's the second time just in this chapter that Hermione's done something, you know, extraordinary that first years mm-hmm. shouldn't be able to do. She has her little blue flame. She's making paint magical. She's just a little above and beyond. Yeah, she's shown uh, quite potential to be a powerful witch just being able to do these little things this quickly you know being the only person and taking the initiative to mm-hmm. learn them on her own mm-hmm. so we've got uh ron and hermione like i said making the big banner uh, oliver wood gives the team a pep talk the weasley twins kind of heckle him throughout his pep talk <laughs> good old weasley twins because you know and you know that's probably helps i would think that kind of helped Harry a little bit too because having the Weasley boys there to kind of break the tension a little bit that's got to help him right yeah yeah I think you know he's close with the Weasleys so mm-hmm. it's like having two even though it's still new with them it's like having two big brothers there to but they're not they're not stressed over it and I think that you could tell that they're just very relaxed they're very sure of themselves they're very confident and they're confident enough to where they can you know joke around and I think that probably has to rub off on Harry a little bit and probably help him relax before he goes out there. And they needed that to counteract Wood's over-seriousness. <laughs> this is the biggest day of your lives! And Harry's been working with Wood a lot, so <laughs> I'm sure he's really piled it on. Oh, I'm sure he is. And made this, you know, bigger than it is, and the Weasleys are like, that's just him, that's what he does, and... Yeah. We make fun oh, of him. <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, it's the same speech he gave last year. We remember the speech from last year. Great speech, Oliver. You know, uh, it was. I thought it was kind of a, you know, just perfectly showed what the Weasley twins are. And they're very um, sure of themselves and not, and, you know, almost like laughing in the face of, of danger. Death. Yeah. It's just... You know, it nothing nothing bothers us. You know, we bother people. The things don't bother <laughs> yes, us. Do. So we are off, and the match begins. And uh, Weasley's uh, the Weasley twins' friend Lee Jordan. I wanted to talk a little bit about because that confused him. you a little bit. I, I was confused because because you're a Hufflepuff. Uh, probably. Um, I was so busy worried about other people's uh, feelings and emotions and having people like me to, to understand what was going on in the book. But instead of saying who he was, who Lee Jordan was before he started talking, this announcer just starts talking and you can kind of tell it's an announcer by, you know, how the presentation is made in the voice. You know, you can kind of, that kind of comes across in the, in the book a little bit. But then you just, you hear this announcer start talking and then you hear somebody yell, Jordan! And then it tells you who it is afterwards. And I just, while I'm reading this, I just stop and say, okay, who is Jordan? <laughs> and you tell and me I, who it is. I'm not even reading the chapter yet. Right. I was reading something else. And I was like, wait, what? Quidditch? Jordan? Oh, well, we know that Jordan does the announcing for okay. all of the... <laughs> we, we, we know. We know that Sorry. now. Your side of the <laughs> microphone knows that. My side of the microphone, uh, if... if I would have read another uh, ten, 10 seconds. I would have found out that Lee Jordan is one of the uh, Weasley twins' good friends. He is kind of the um, play-by-play announcer. It's kind of. It seems like it's kind of like a uh, like a student, like a college radio station kind of, where they have uh, the students doing the work, but they are still being uh, supervised. So he can't just kind of, he doesn't just have free reign to kind of say whatever he wants. He's got McGonagall there. And it's not, McGonagall's not doing like color commentary or anything, right? She's just watching to make sure that he doesn't say anything stupid or kind of, and and she kind of wants him to call it down the middle too. 
Although it's obvious that he has allegiances toward his buddies on and the Gryffindor team. So does she. We'll see her waver on that in the future. But in this first appearance of it, yes, she's trying to keep him on the straight and narrow. So if you don't mind, I would like to do a little bit of uh, Lee Jordan commentary. Oh, are you going to you? use your announcer voice I'm and gonna everything? U- I'm going to use my fake announcer voice. Oh, ladies and gentlemen, we are in for a treat. <laughs> and uh, here is Lee Jordan uh, calling the beginning of the Quidditch game. I'm going to close my eyes and picture it. And the quaffle is taken immediately by Angelina Johnson of Gryffindor. What an excellent chaser that girl is, and rather attractive, too. Sorry, Professor, because that's when he gets yelled at. And she's really belting along out there. A neat pass to Alicia Spinnett. A good find of Oliver Woods. Last year, only a reserve. Back to Johnson and... No! The Slytherins have taken the quaffle. Slytherin captain Marcus Flint gains the quaffle and off he goes. Flint flying like an eagle out there. He's going to score... No! Stopped by an excellent move by Gryffindor keeper Wood. And the Gryffindors take the quaffle. That's chaser Katie Bell of Gryffindor out there. Nice dive around Flint. Up off the field and... Ouch! That must have hurt. Hit in the back of the head by a bludger. Quaffle taken by the Slytherins. That's Adrian Pusey speeding off toward the goalpost. But he's blocked by a second bludger. Sent his way by Fred or George Weasley. Can't really tell which. Nice play by the Gryffindor beater anyway. And Johnson back in possession of the Quaffle. A clear field ahead. Off she goes. She's really flying. Dodges a speeding bludger. The goalposts are ahead. Come on now, Angelina. Keeper bludger dives. Mrs. Gryffindor scores. Goal! <laughs> Telemundo! I don't think yay, that's yay, what he That's not in the book. That's what that, that, uh, that Spanish no. uh, soccer announcer does. Yeah. So, um, mm-hmm. there you go. You're welcome. <laughs> You're welcome, folks. Uh, that's, you can that's, turn the volume back up, guys. That's just what I, uh, I pictured in my head. So, while all this is going on, Gryffindor scored their first goal. Harry is not anywhere in these plays because the strategy developed by him and Oliver is to keep Harry away from the action until the snitch is spotted. And, you know, what is, what was the, what's the reasoning behind, you know, kind of Harry just, he, I mean, he's really just kind of, he's doing a a few flips and things just to kind of when people score, stay fresh. Celebrate. Yeah, um, and he's just kind of just trying to you know get stay his, out of the way. Yeah, get his you know body loose and get everything ready to go for when the the snitch gets. But why wouldn't he be while he's looking for the snitch? Why wouldn't they want him you know a part of the attack or the defense, so to speak? Because there's no need for him to get attacked before they see the snitch. Gotcha. Either figure. Wood is figuring once Harry is in the mix that they'll try and take him out. Mm-hmm. They'll be gunning for him. Mm-hmm. And he's, I mean, he's definitely the smallest person on the. And assumedly the they're pitch? weak link. Is, are they on the yeah. pitch? Yeah. Quidditch the Quidditch pitch? pitch? Oh, yes. nice. Oh, Got it. You're picking it up. <laughs> um, you know, and he may be a natural and he may be really good on his broom, but he is, it is still his first game. He's never played before, so he naturally will be a little bit slower than everybody else and the weak link, and they're going to pick on him. And it's just then when he spots the snitch, and he spots it as it flies past the Slytherin chaser. Uh, we mentioned him a second ago. I think I guess it's, is it Pusey? Adrian Pusey? P-U-C-E-Y? I guess so. They I would, don't really mention. It's I, just... I would think it'd be pussy, but I mean, I hope it's not pussy. <laughs> That's, that'd be a little gross. But uh, I'm going to go with pussy. And um, Harry and the Slytherin seeker uh, Higgs are both in uh, hot pursuit of this niche. When all of a sudden Harry is fouled by the Slytherin captain Marcus Flint, just like you said a second ago. As soon as Harry gets into the middle of the action, they are probably going to take every advantage they can of the smallest guy on the pitch. You would think so. But that does lead to a uh, soccer-style penalty shot, (laughs) which I thought was kind of interesting. I guess 
I guess when there's uh, and there was a, there was even a discussion after that. I forget who it was in the audience that was talking. Seamus was saying, "Why don't you give him a red card, then, eh? <laughs> Why don't you give him a red card, fella?" Red card. They're like, "I don't know what that is." I have no. It's it's uh, it's football, eh? Or football, soccer. You know, uh, if you do something bad in soccer, you get a yellow card. If you do something really bad in soccer, you get a red card and you get kicked out of the game. Um, that's based on my very minimal knowledge of of soccer, or as people in uh, Europe call it, football. Football, yeah. But here, if I guess if you get fouled, you get a free shot at the goal. And I don't know if, like in hockey, if you get a penalty shot, it's you one-on-one with the goalie. In soccer, it's you one-on-one with the goalie. I don't know if you just, it sounded like you just get a free shot at, at the goal, like with no keeper in front of it. Yeah, it didn't specify, but... So it's, it's, I mean, it sounds like if you get a penalty shot, it's pretty, I mean, it's like a free throw. It's, you're pretty much guaranteed to, to make it. Unless you uh, suck, doesn't I mean, guess. It doesn't mean you're going to make it, <laughs> but you get a free shot uh, at the goal, and uh, they do take advantage of the penalty shot. And I, I wrote down that you could really see um, uh, Lee's, Lee Jordan's allegiances. Oh, yeah. Uh, that part. You know, on that part there, because it was, uh, he said, so after that obvious and disgusting bit of cheating, and then McGonagall yells at him. Jordan. I mean, after that open and revolting foul. Jordan. <laughs> all right, all right. Flint nearly kills the Gryffindor seeker, which could happen to anyone, I'm sure. <laughs> so a penalty to Gryffindor. Taken by Spinner, who puts it away, no trouble, and we continue to play. So that when it said it, he, are I they, got confused on that part. They this put is penalty by Gryffindor. Or so a penalty to Gryffindor. To Gryffindor. Yeah, a penalty yeah. to Gryffindor taken by. It still Spinnet. sounded like they were being penalized. Yeah. I mean, I knew the names were. I knew it was a Gryffindor yeah. person shooting the. It would have made more sense if they said like a penalty thing. awarded to Gryffindor or something like that. Yeah. Uh, or a penalty, penalty shot, yeah, given you know, to Gryffindor, and it said that. And it said that Spinet puts it away, no trouble. So it makes it sound like they made the sh- the free shot, no problem. They got their ten points, and we continue on with the play. But I thought that that little conversation there really, if you didn't know from before how excited he got, uh, Lee Jordan got when he was making the Gryffindor scoring call. You could really tell by there, you know, what his personal feelings are. You know, he definitely has some allegiances to uh, Gryffindor. Is he a Gryffindor himself? I'm sure he is. Yeah. I mean, he's got to be, right? I mean, I don't think they come out and say ever, but I think in the movies he's wearing a Gryffindor scarf. Okay. I didn't know if he and was actually Gryffindor Weasleys, or if he was just buddy-buddy so. buddy with the twins. Uh, this is when things really get crazy for Harry. And his brand new Nimbus 2000 broom begins to go haywire and he can't control it he can't direct it Uh, it's trying to buck him off like a bull almost and it's violently swinging him back and forth to the point that at one point he's dangling precariously by one hand and we mentioned there's no mattresses underneath them but he has the weasley twins i loved that part yeah the weasleys stop playing. playing to try to come save him and get him back on his broom. Um, but the broom, every time they try to, to save him, the broom like rises up you know, 10 feet in the so air. So they drop down lower and just circle underneath to catch him. To catch falls. him in case he falls, yeah. Um, I love Fred and George. And, you know, Hermione knows something is up. And she, instead of looking out on the field... Well, Hagrid... Spells it out for her. He said that, or Ron asked if the the collision caused a problem mm-hmm. with the broom, and Hagrid says no, nothing like that could happen. Like Only in a thing, like in NASCAR race or something, yeah. if you hit the wall, your car is not going to run right. Mm-hmm. So or Ron's thinking maybe if you hit it, you know that collision, maybe it makes his broom not work. Right. Yeah, or or he did something when mm-hmm. he did that, but he. Uh, Hagrid says, no, nothing like that could happen. The only thing that could affect a broom is very powerful dark magic. Mm. And then that's when Hermione takes the binoculars and turns her attention away from the pitch and to the crowd. And she sees Severus Snape staring right at Harry. 
almost in a trance, you know, transfixed on Harry, not blinking, mouthing words to himself, and Hermione surmises that Snape is jinxing uh, Harry's broom, and she intends to put a stop to Take care of it. Don't mess with Hermione's friends. And I put a note that while all this is going on, you mentioned that um, Fred and George have stopped playing in, in order to, you know, help Harry. Uh, the Slytherins have scored five times because when you've got three of your seven players otherwise preoccupied, mm-hmm. um, I believe in hockey they would call that a power play <laughs> for all you hockey fans out there. <laughs> you don't know much about hockey. I, um, I disagree. They call me little hockey. Yeah. Like, yeah. we've got some people in the room right now, so I'll, uh, watch this. Hey, guys. Hey, little hockey. Yeah. So there it is. Yeah. So we're the only two here. No, we got interns running around all this this place here. We sent them out for butterbeer. Ah, <laughs> they might die out there. It's awfully cold. <laughs> it's awfully cold. Uh, Hermione hustles over to Snape's stand, bullies her way down the row behind him. So she's going to kind of sneak up behind him. And I'm just envisioning her just like shoving people out of the way on her way down there, including... Very un-Hermione-like. Yeah, including uh, Professor uh, Quirrell in the process. I mean... <laughs> yeah, he takes a tumble. Yeah, he takes a big tumble. You know, pushes a professor out of the way. And that's very un-Hermione-like. And how did Hermione divert Snape's attention? She lit his robes on fire with her little blue flame. Of course she did. So the the little blue flame is, if you, uh, you know, that's why I thought it was very prudent to mention that earlier in the yes. chapter, because she's obviously very good with these little blue flames. And uh, was it was it the same flame that she had in the jar? No, she or produced did she... it from her wand. Okay, and it then she put it in she... the jar afterwards. Yeah. So it like, kind of like and... destroyed the evidence, <laughs> sort of. Took it with her. Yeah. It's like, yeah, I'll just take this with me. Thank you very much. She has never jar... know what happened. She has jars in her, in her robe. Yeah, you have just, to. When just you're like mason jars. A Hogwarts student. I, I guess so. Uh, this allows Harry to regain control of the broom. And the final moments of the match, after he regains control of the broom, kind of go really quickly. What happens after he gets control of the broom? I mean, it's over yeah, pretty it, much like that. I was kind of surprised, kind of shocked me too. All of a sudden, he was shooting towards the ground, and nobody knew why he was mm-hmm. doing that. And then he just got off his broom at the, and landed on all fours, and then he got, stood up and spit out the, <laughs> the snitch. It went a little differently in the movie. I we thought realized... so. I thought the the snitch chase went on for like five minutes. <laughs> yes, they definitely drag it out much longer uh, in the just to show the off the special effects. Yeah, and I kind of preferred that because, like you said, here we didn't really even know what was going on, mm-hmm. and I still don't really understand how he ended up with it in his mouth. <laughs> in the movie, you know, we've got this big, long, drawn-out chase, dive. He's reaching, he's reaching, he's reaching. He loses his balance and falls and, like, accidentally catches it in his mouth. Okay. So he does catch it in his mouth in the movie. Yes. Too. Okay. That's a critical point. Good. I think you got to leave that in there. So, <laughs> you know, whether it's by... Uh, I put that it's not pretty, but it gets the job done. Yes. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like that one time I scored a goal in soccer. It was not pretty. <laughs> I uh, know nothing about playing soccer, but I filled in on my friend's uh, adult soccer team several years back, indoor soccer team, and uh, don't even know how to kick a ball properly. But just by following the ball up and down the field, I scored a goal, and you did not see it because you were, you were playing video games. It. There's this ongoing joke for those of you. It wasn't uh, a video game. That, it was a claw game where that, you won candy. That don't know us. Very that, important. Um, Jessica and my brother were both at the game, and um, I guess I sucked so bad earlier on in the game that they decided they were just going to go play video games. We instead. were going to go get candy. Uh huh. It's candy. And uh, you missed my goal. No, we saw it through and, the window. And then after the game, when we were mentioning that I had scored a goal, you guys got really. Um, surprised by the fact that that had happened and kind of quickly uh, got together and decided that you were going to create this this ruse 
for the next 15 years that you had seen the goal through the window <laughs> through the window while next we were getting to, candy while you were getting candy from the claw machine um, but my goal was not pretty but it did work it still counts just as much as a <laughs> as a real soccer player kicking the ball into the goal still counts for the same number of points and Harry catching the snitch in his mouth and spitting it out into his hand counts just as much as yeah it's not against the rules apparently no, apparently it is not against the rules and 150 points for Gryffindor, ending the game, and the final score, Slytherin 60, Gryffindor 170. So, uh, good first outing, despite all the drama, you know, a win for the Gryffindor team, and which I think they said would move them up into second place in house points. If this is the very start of the season, I, I guess so. Yeah. Oh, in the house, yeah, house yeah, points. For the house cup. So I guess they get house points for winning their game. Mm-hmm. But it just seemed funny that it was like, well, they just started the season. Gotcha. Uh, so, I mean, that's a lot, lot to unpack there, a lot going on. There's, you know, um, drama with Snape, obviously. Uh, there's, you know, the Weasley boys doing what the Weasley boys do, being awesome. Uh, we've got Hermione uh, showing a lot of. Skill. Yeah, a lot of skill and a lot of initiative too to to go over there and you know kind of risk expulsion uh, by pushing professors and I'm lighting a, a professor on fire. Some speed and cardio on her part too, because mm-hmm. those Quidditch pitches are huge, and they said it was all across on the other side. Mm-hmm. So she had to run all the way around to the other side. Mm-hmm. That's, that's big. Yeah, so she's it's really uh, big. Stadium. Now, now Hermione never gets into. She never tries her hand at Quidditch, right? No, she's not very good at flying. Okay. Like ever. Gotcha. She never really develops that skill. I was just kind of wondering because, um, you know, Ron obviously coming from the you know the Weasley uh, tradition of Quidditch players, we expect him. You know, once he gets out of the first years. Um, to, you know, eventually take a spot on the, on the Quidditch team, uh, you know, given the fact of how good his his brothers are and his brothers were, but we never really hear any kind of thing with Quidditch associated with Hermione, and I just kind of wondered why she never really gave it a shot. It's just not the Quidditch type. Yeah, just more the the Book quest type. for knowledge yes. bookworm. Uh, so that's the Quidditch game, but as usual, we learn a lot in the last couple of pages of a chapter of a Harry Potter book, because uh, usually that's what a good writer does, is kind of make you want to keep reading, and when you get to the end of the chapter, they give you a little nugget here to kind of, uh, you know, whet your appetite and make you want to keep going. So we've got Hagrid inviting uh, the trio, Harry, Ron, and Hermione, back to his hut, for a little bit of hot tea and what are the thoughts of the students about what just happened and how do those differ from what Hagrid thinks just happened um well you know they all think that Snape was jinxing the broom right and that's what happened and then Hermione broke his concentration and therefore Harry could get back on his broom and control it properly breaking the jinx so but yeah Hagrid just is like Hermione the night before that's not possible there's no way that could happen Snape wouldn't do that right. and that's what that's what I wanted to to have you talk about the fact that how differing you know the the, the kids are are so dead set on the fact that Snape is trying to just tried to murder a child <laughs> and Hagrid is very um, st- steadfast in his opinion that he would never do that that a professor at Hogwarts would never One do that. One would like to think that if you're a professor you wouldn't try to murder a child. But as Hagrid uh, sometimes does when you get him talking mm-hmm. Yeah, Harry brings up his other theories uh-huh. other condemning facts he knows about Snape and they talk about the leg wound, and it must have come from the three-headed dog, and... Hey, how do you know about the three-headed dog? Fluffy. And, you know, that's when Hagrid kind of, you know, lets out that, 
well, how, how do you know that that dog exists? Um, how do you know about Fluffy? And the, the kids are like, who's Fluffy? <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, this is a dog that uh, Hagrid owns mm-hmm. that he bought at some pub. And he is loaning it out to Dumbledore. Where else Dumbled- would you get a three-headed dog? A three-legged, a three-legged dog. Well, I mean, there's unfortunately there's a lot of those yes. out there. Three-headed dog. Uh, you, yeah, of course you buy it in a pub. Uh, we've got uh, Hagrid lending out the three-headed dog Fluffy to Hogwarts and to Dumbledore in order to guard this um, thing. Valuable thing that was taken out of Gringotts and is now being stored at Hogwarts. So a lot, you know, like I said, with Hagrid, if you get him talking, a lot of times he will just kind of, it's just kind of in his nature to uh, let things slide out. But, you know, Hagrid has got to feel a little concerned about Snape. You know, he was very steadfast in his defense of Snape, but when he hears that Snape has a gruesome wound and that the wound is from the dog that, you know, Harry literally overheard Snape say that it was from the three-headed dog. What do you think Hagrid, you think Hagrid is changing his thoughts about Snape? Maybe there's something to what the kids are saying? No, I don't think so. I think he knows Dumbledore and trusts Dumbledore 100% and Dumbledore trusts Snape 100%. So I don't think that Hagrid's really gonna flip he just he's just gonna say there was there's got to be a logical explanation uh hagrid actually says he was lending fluffy to dumbledore to guard the and there's a little (laughs) dot 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 there he almost let it slide out what what he was guarding and hagrid actually says to the kids at the very end you forget the dog, and you forget what it's guarding. That's between Professor Dumbledore and Nicholas Flamel. So something else just came out of, of Hagrid as he was uh, uh, getting on the children for, you know, all their uh, curiosities and uh, theories and things like that. And now, I think one of the last lines in the chapter is, now the students know that there's somebody named Nicholas Flamel Involved. Involved in this whole Hogwarts madness that we've got going on. Uh, so we do not know who Nicholas Flamel is. All we know at this point is that there's something very valuable that's being guarded. Lots of people obviously want to get to it, or we would not have put it in Gringotts in the first place. We would not have moved it to Hogwarts and guarded by a three-headed dog in the second place. We know that Snape has interest in it. Uh, we know that Hagrid knows what it is and is doing his best to to yeah, best. to keep it secret. Anything else you want to add, or anything else that stood out about this chapter? Um, we covered all of my notes. I did take some notes today, like four of you. them. Um, I noticed that when we were getting ready for Quidditch, they were getting dressed, and they mentioned they put on their scarlet robes, and that Slytherin would be in green. I think that's the first house colors we've, we've first mention of it. Mm-hmm. I don't think really? we've talked okay. about that till now. And of course, you know, I Ravenclaw's colors always seem to change a lot, mm-hmm. and I also just noticed, you know, because it says scarlet robes well scarlet is red and you know by the end i think they kind of morph into maroon Mm -hmm. and and so the gryffindor colors change a little bit too but i just i don't know i miss the scarlet uh so anything else or just we're ready looking forward to chapter 12 because looking forward to chapter 12 um but i also want to mention that i have a new harry potter book that i got that someone 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 at this table and there's still only two of us here, got me for Christmas. It is Harry Potter and the Philosopher's Stone. Mm-hmm. And it is the Ravenclaw edition. Ooh, what's special about the Ravenclaw edition? Everything. It's got a special cover with the Ravenclaw crest on it. It's The pages are blue and gold. Bronze, however you want to say it. Now, they you, you mentioned gold, the but... colors of Ravenclaw are sometimes... Um, they change. They do because, like you know, you'll buy a lot of you know Ravenclaw uh, products and memorabilia, 
And usually what I have kind of associated with Ravenclaw is uh, like a royal blue and silver. But gray in, on, I mean, it comes or gray, it's gray yeah. on most stuff. But in the books, you're saying, isn't it like bronze? It's and, blue and bronze. Blue and bronze, yeah. okay. And, and then sometimes you see it as like a navy blue. Yeah, sometimes it's navy blue, uh-huh. sometimes it's royal blue. I mean, your cover there is almost purple. Of course, I'm colorblind, so. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say. That's not uh, purple? No, it's blue. Okay, well. I would think the t-shirt you're wearing right now is blue, and that doesn't look anything like the same color. As that. I mean, I guess it's a purple or blue, yes, but it's still blue. Okay, but you're excited about the next chapter because Christmas is coming. Yes, and yes. actually, the They're first the first line of the next chapter is Christmas was coming. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I and think so since we're on Christmas, Christmas vacation, we definitely need to get to that one. Do you think they know it's Christmas time at all? I'm sure they do, because it says right there, Christmas is coming. Oh, okay. I just, that's my reference to the worst Christmas song ever made <laughs> by the, uh, uh, the supergroup Band-Aid. Slip that in there. To support the people in uh, Somalia, I believe. Do they know it's Christmas time at all? Yes. 45% of the country is Christian, so I'm sure they know it's Christmas time, and you're probably reminding them that they don't have any presents. So you're kind of a jerk for writing that song. <laughs> so uh, send us what uh, your favorite Christmas song is. You can email us at broomsticks.butterbeer at gmail.com. And then you'll have a list to put on the track. Yep, and then uh, also your worst Christmas song of all time. Um, Mine would be Do You Know It's Christmas, or Do They Know It's Christmas by uh, Band-Aid. It's it's garbage. I don't know where we're going. It's just absolute garbage. Well, Christmas is coming. That's where we're going. And we'll see you um, next time for Chapter 12. I guess that's it. So uh, until next time, this is Dan. And Jess. Broomsticks and Butterbeer. Thanks for downloading, subscribing, listening, spreading the word. We will be back next time. Chapter 12. See ya.